So, 
We were discussing a little bit from Bhagavad Gita, the ninth chapter. We got distracted um, last night, slightly, by going to the end of the sixth chapter, but nonetheless the topic has remained, thank you, Shuddha Bhakti, or pure devotion. <clears throat> and this, as I mentioned the other night, is is the uh, subject of the ninth chapter, middle of the text, 18 chapters. And that um, subject found here is reiterated at the end of the text. So it's what the book's really about. <clears throat> Shuddha Bhakti, pure devotion. We talked last night about how is devotion in whatever um, to whatever extent, even in the most rudimentary form, uh, factored into any particular practice or system of yoga that makes that system actually a yoga or a means of linking with uh, with the absolute. So then the wisdom is, the logic is that if there's a path only about devotion, purely about devotion, then... That must be most uh, comprehensive means, yuktotama, yuktotama. Yukta means yoga, to link, and uta means supreme, the most comprehensive means of linking, connecting. And so this is what Gaudiya Vaishnavism is about, and it's nicely laid out in the second, in the ninth chapter, as I mentioned. It's the real essence of the Gita. So the ninth chapter is begins, Krishna begins by speaking about a eligibility of those who uh, want to tread this path. And he basically says, they just have to be non-envious of me because it's all about me. And um, have to have faith in the efficacy of, of simply singing about me, glorifying me. And um, Here in the second verse we're going to discuss today, the first three verses are really all, all a kind of a glorification of Shuddha Bhakti, which is the knowledge of this chapter. It's a kind of knowledge. He says here, Rajavidyam, Rajaguyam, Pavitram, Idam, Uttamam, Pratyakshavagamam, Dharamam, Susukam, Kartam, Avyayam. So sometimes the te- this chapter is thought to be about knowledge. Rajavidya. It's actually the ancient name is Rajakuya Yoga. Rajakuya Guya means secret. Here he said it is the Raja of Vidya. Vidya means knowledge. The king of knowledge. Raj means king and Rajguya. Rajaguya, the king of uh, secrets. So again, he's glorifying, bringing Arjuna's attention, getting his attention. Uh, by glorifying the subject of the of the chapter in this section of the discourse, and uh, so king, this is the king of knowledge. I've talked about different types of knowledge. It's the implication, obviously, and he has. He's talked about knowledge derived from um, acting righteously without attachment to the results. Just to act righteously 
is a kind of sacrifice, a kind of giving up, you understand? And when the fruits of such actions are offered to the center, to the absolute, to the Godhead, then that much more. This makes action a way of progressing. And the progress that comes from that, of course, is the ingress of, of, of wisdom, of inner knowledge, which then is thought to be very secret knowledge. In the Upanishads, with the Upanishads, Upanishad, Upanishad, Upanishad means to come, literally means to sit close. And the implication is that if you sit close, then I'm going to tell you something that's come closer. I want to tell you something. So it's secret kind of knowledge, not the knowledge for the common people. In fact, by comparison, the knowledge of the common people is considered to be avidya, or ignorance. Knowledge of how to pursue things that don't endure in the pursuit of enduring happiness. That is a folly. Hmm? Uh, but there is considerable body of knowledge, if you will, as to how to go about that. And and the the, the teaching about that in Veda, for example, um, is, is 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 very fascinating in, in, in that it's a way of teaching about how to acquire in such a way as that you will eventually move away from the acquiring tendency altogether. We think that by adding something onto our lives, our lives will be more complete. And the fact is just the opposite, that uh, we are cluttered and covered by this acquiring tendency. And um, by attachment, we get close to things in a way that doesn't allow us to see what they really are. We lack objectivity that comes from detachment. To see the world for what it really is. You know, they say, I thought it was a bowl of cherries, but it was just the pits. When I looked more closely at it. So this is considered then to be a kind of a special kind of secret knowledge that the common people don't have. Knowledge that by, by material acquisition, we don't gain, we lose. It's like moving in quicksand. You just go down further and further. Hmm? In other words, you incur a karmic debt. You go in into negative numbers. Like when you borrow money from the bank, it looks like you've got a lot, but you just owe that much and more in interest. So material life proceeds along these lines. It's not progressive. It's going, it's going backward. So as I, say, as I say, there's a way to act, and you have to act then righteously, right livelihood, as the Buddhists say, hmm? not just any act, but right, ethically sound, morally sound acts, which will be determined by the, by the, uh, uh, to a large extent, relative to the times in which we live. Morality is not a set of codes. It's a, it's, there are moral and ethical principles that need to be applied and turned into codes, if you will, to govern certain places and certain times. Hmm? things change. So, anyway, to act righteously, that in itself is a sacrifice. We have a tendency to want to act in any way that we feel, do what we, whatever we feel might be best, but 
what we feel might be best not might might be not be in the, in the interest of of others and we're communal mm-hmm. uh, animals so uh, a bigger picture a bigger sense of self if you take into consideration others and so forth and and so on this is in itself a sacrifice and as i say if we factor in giving the results of the of our activity to the, the Godhead that much more. And this brings a kind of, as I say, ingress of wisdom, secret kind of wisdom. So this has all been talked about in the Gita thus far. But now Krishna says Rajavidya and Rajakuya. So the obvious implication is here that this is even higher knowledge, even more secret knowledge. After all, now you think about it. If uh, ignorance is material attachment in the pursuit of material acquisition, to think that, uh, that, that things are everything, when in fact the best things in life are not things at all. The best thing in life is you, hmm? not things. You give things meaning. They take on a life only in connection with you. Matter is animated by, by consciousness, and thereby takes on a life. When we extend our self consciousness, which has the capacity to extend itself like light, hmm? which illumines itself and its surroundings, giving life for others, consciousness has the capability to extend itself. So we extend ourselves by way of identification in a subtle sense into things, and those things thereby take on meaning for us and have value. Because it's my car. And why is it mine? Because I've extended myself into it by way of identification. That's how it begins. I want that car. That's the one I want. So it's yours now. You have to find a way to tangibly, kind of physically get it. Hmm? But it's yours. You've gone there. You're in it. More than anybody else, so it becomes yours. Hmm? Whoever wants it more, We'll get it. That's the rule. <laughs> so they have those affirmations. If you really want it, you'll get it. And it's true. Whoever wants the most. Um, so, by extending ourselves, units of consciousness, into a material thing, the thing takes on a value for us. And those who are attached to us. Because we're there, then in that house, in that car, in that set of clothes, hmm? that becomes us. But what we really like about that thing is us, not the thing. Hmm? It has value because we're in it. If my car gets a flat tire, it's a problem. If somebody else's, and it's not even, doesn't even make, you know, it's not on my radar for news. It's not, it's not of interest. Oh, he's got a flat tire, so what? Big. But my car did, and it, or it breaks down in some way. It becomes a problem, because I'm in it, in other words. It's mine, it's me, and that's how they market it, right? It's you. It's your car. Hmm? It's your cigarette. You know, it's your set of clothes. It's, this is the way it's uh, the psychology of, of, of marketing. Hmm? So consciousness has a capacity to extend itself into things, and those things thereby take on life, meaning, and value for us, those of us, who have gone there. So the, the secret is that what's really valuable, what you really like, is you. Hmm? You are the value. Consciousness is the, is the value. As I said the other night, if the world mattered, 
independent of consciousness, who would know about it? Who would care? So, therefore, to know about yourself as a unit of consciousness, and there's great potential to be satisfied, such to the extent that you don't need things. Again, the best things in life are not things. The best thing is you. That's why the Upanishads, in a very rudimentary way, introduces into spiritual life by saying, if you want to know what God is what Brahman is, the source of the world, what the Absolute is, there's one thing in the world that most resembles God more than anything else. What is it? It's you. So you are God. It's kind of a rudimentary way of explaining this whole thing. A big, big subject. It's like if you live in a cave and you don't know what it's like, what sunlight is like, and your friend, cave dweller, buddy, happens to go outside and find the sun, how will he come back in and explain to you what sun is? He has only experience of darkness. And sun means rain. Sun means water. Sun means vegetation. Life. Hmm? So many things. Right? He has no... It's a, it's a whole world. So you, what, well, how will you begin to tell him everything about what sun is that you've experienced? You've gone up and lived above ground for a week, and, you, and you've come back to the cave-dwelling world to talk about it. And you, and you start to talk about it. It's, it shined. It's this. It's that. The guy has no reference, no frame of reference. To, what are you talking about? Guy's crazy. <laughs> so he has to make like a little hole in the cave and a little light, ray of light comes in. So see, that's, that's sun. Wow, fascinating. But we know the ray of sun is just, just and the fact that it's, it's, it lights up things is, is just to say very little about it. But it's a beginning anyway. Hmm? So the absolute, the Godhead, you know, we try to talk about it. In this world, it's like trying to teach music to deaf people. Difficult task. But the Upanishads, penned as they are, the, 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 the wisdom of the Upanishads, uh, eternal as it is, revealed in the hearts of certain people whose names that have been identified with those particular Upanishads, have talked about it largely in this way. And this is then considered uncommon knowledge. And it is. But it is merely the antithesis, in one sense, of material knowledge. Right? It's the difference between matter and spirit. So these are kind of like two opposites, in a way. Experiencer and that which is experienced. Light and darkness. You know, consciousness, animate and inanimate. Um, and so my point is that the mere opposite of ordinary knowledge is not the f height of uncommon knowledge. In other words, common knowledge is that we're all different. You're black, I'm white, you're uh, a, a lady, I'm a gent. Um, you know, 
I'm American, you're Indian, or all these varieties and whatnot that arise, that are judgments that we place on the environment based on a perception gathered by the senses. We make a judgment in the mind and we, we, we label things and give names to things and uh, uh, determine values about things and so forth. And, and, and all this is getting in the way of the unity that we sense life is, is about sometimes, if we're thoughtful, hmm? all this, this difference. So to say, for example, that difference and the variety of life is kind of an ignorance, it's, 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 a, it's getting in the way of unity. It's just a perception. For you it's hot, for me it's cold, so you know, which is it? For you it's good, for me it's bad, which is it? So to move away from this, this, this difference, this variety that gets in the way of unity, to the idea that underlying all the variety of life is a, is a, is a, is a singular kind of a substance hmm, called consciousness that causes the matter to transform and take different shapes, to come and go, to come and go, and to move in between the coming and going, and apparently have a life and so forth. So to move from difference to oneness, it's all different, it's all one. It's not a huge leap. But it is a leap from ignorance to knowledge, nonetheless. But that has already been covered in the Gita. Now he's talking about knowledge again here in this middle six chapters and in the ninth chapter, in the very middle of the text. And he qualifies the knowledge. He uses the term Raja. He says Rajavidya and Rajaguyam. It's the king of uh, it's uh, knowledge and the king of secrets. So we can understand this is he's talking about something more uh, uncommon than this idea. Hmm? And as as he goes on here, after this verse and the next verse, he'll go on and he'll explain the the underlying kind of metaphysical basis of the kind of knowledge that he's talking about. The knowledge that he's talking about is bhakti. And bhakti comes from the root word budge, which means to, 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 uh, it means to give and take. Really. Hmm? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a giving by which there's getting and, and, uh, it, it, it implies some movement, some activity. Hmm? Um, Again, the knowledge that is of, of unity, that's the opposite of the ignorance of material variety, is a stillness. Material variety is causing a movement. Hmm? When we step back from that, look objectively at the world, we see that the variety is false. It's just a perception of the mind. Hmm? Then we see no difference between heat and cold, between gold and uh, and um, you know, any other metal or a piece of earth. Hmm? This is kind of like scientific knowledge. It makes you kind of like objective and you lose impetus to do anything. Hmm? Of course, you find in yourself by this. So it's a special kind of science. Science dissects the world also in a way. Darwin did it in, in his own estimation to an extent, and he lost all sense for poetry, for art, for, for love, for affection. 
So Vedanta does this also to an extent. It makes one dry, but but not like Darwin. But uh, but it it makes one peaceful within, happy within, to sit in unity and alone in a cave, dwelling within on what I am. It's a huge relief from the from the world of of karma that's been chasing us, repercussions of our inappropriate and even appropriate actions. But uh, bhakti, then, which is the subject here, is, a, is another kind of knowledge. The knowledge he's speaking about is bhakti. And he'll qualify it by various adjectives and describe it, and it becomes apparent to us. It's not a sitting still. It's, it's, a kind of a, it's, 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 it's an activity. Hmm? It's, uh, it's, it's a oneness and a difference at the same time. So, as I say, in two texts, this one and the next one, after that, he begins to explain the metaphysical um, foundation of this knowledge that is bhakti. He's talking about bhakti here. Hmm? He says, Rajvidya. Raj means also king, but um, so you can say, well, then this is the knowledge of kings, um, noble people, hmm? high people, but he means something more than that. You could say, well, who, then who are the kings of the world? Who are the, who's ruling the world? The mind rules the world. The senses rule the world. Hmm? Therefore, what is this? Bacho vegam, manasa, krodha vegam, chiva vegam, udurapasta vegam, sarvan, what is it? Apimam pritivim sashishat. Pritivim sashishat. Who's the pritivim? Who's of the world? Who's ruled by bacho? Krodha. These vagums, the pullings of the senses, the urge to eat and speak, and who's, who's driven by them is of the world. Who is not driven by them is above the world. Pritivim sashishat. Who is ruled by the world, by the senses, becomes the student, naturally, of one who is not, who is risen above the world of senses, the oppression of the mind and the senses. So, um, that's a, one way of another way of thinking about it, but that doesn't come to the full idea of what's being described here. Hmm? Raja vidya, raja means also raja means to shine. Hmm? Krishna is speaking about bhakti here, as we'll see. He says it is it is the shining knowledge, knowledge that shines. Hmm? This means means. That it is a, it is, it is my shakti. It's luminous. My swarup shakti. It is samvit. This kind of knowledge corresponds with a, with a type of existence, sandini, and a type of meaning, hmm? a purpose. Not ananda, but hladini, hladini. Kind, 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 condensation of ananda, of bliss. This is my Swarup Shakti is constituted of this. Sudha Sattva Visheshatma. Prema Suryamsu, Samyabhak Rupa Goswami says. It is this, this, Sudha Sattva and Visheshatma. Visheshatma means that our, uh, in Bhakti, 
There's, there's some bit, a kind of knowing, and, and a kind of, uh, a corresponding kind of ecstasy, a particular bhava, that is ladhini, in a certain kind of existence, that is sandini, that, that facilitates such. The ingress of this, samvit, gives us knowledge of our oneness with Bhagwan and our different and simultaneous difference. As we'll see the metaphysic, he says, Maya Tatamidam Sagam Jagadavyaptamutina Matstani Sabutani Nachaham Teshavastita. He explains the Chintabeda Beda, the metaphysical underpinning of this whole idea of Braj Bhakti in this chapter. He says, Every all beings are in me, but I'm not in them. No beings are in me. Hmm? And I'm in them. It's just very confusing. Hmm? If we look at it carefully, we see, and he says, and it's all by my yogam, aishwaram, hmm? my, the power of my yoga, my, my shakti, achintya shakti, by achintya shakti, this is, it's, it, it, it uh, by achintya shakti, uh, these two conflicting, apparently conflicting things, unity, indifference, they're simultaneously, uh, the nature of being is such that it's simultaneously both. This is a very, this is Mahaprabhu Shichitanadev's reading of the environment. Every acharya, previous to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, imposed their intellect upon the environment in, in an effort to explain it in conjunction with revelation. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's philosophy was, to use Prabhupada's term, as it is. No. We see that it is one, and in other words, every Acharya, Shankar tried to say it's all one, Madhva tried to say, no, it's different, Ramana says, well, it's a oneness with a difference in it, and uh, Nambarka says, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's different, hmm? and um, Balaba says, it's, it's, a, it's a purified kind of oneness, and, and they invoke terms, Vishesh, and uh, Anirvachaniya, uh, uh, to try to make these two things work, unity and difference, you know. And Mahaprabhu says, he just says, takes it as it is. He says, it, you don't try to explain it away. It's absolute is, the nature of being is one and different at the same time. And it's a chintya. That's the best word to ascribe it. It's a chintya. Doesn't mean you can't think about it, you can't talk about it, but, hmm. So, anyway, we don't want to go into too much depth about that. We'll try to do that tonight, but, this is the underpinning, then, the metaphysical underpinning of the knowledge that he's talking about here. So it is it is a special kind of knowledge, Rajvidya. It is the shining knowledge of Swarup Shakti that that puts the Brahman, you know, makes it look dark in comparison. Hmm? It is said, you know, probably should say that Krishna is not that beautiful, but when he's standing next to Radharani, then he becomes very beautiful. Hmm? So it means that Brahman, when its own Shakti shines upon it, makes it move, makes it dance, and it brings out its beauty. Hmm? And that Shakti, that Bhakti, that rather personifies, of course, the highest love, devotion. So he's talking about devotion here. Devotion is a kind of knowledge. It's illuminating, luminous, it illuminates, and it illuminates Bhagwan. It illuminates Brahman, the light, 
it illuminates the light. Brahman is a big light, right? It's everything coming from there. Janmadhyasyataha, uh, the light that the world comes from, that the world of darkness is the shadow of only. So by invoking that Brahman, we can put light on the shadow and see what it is and move away from it. That's a kind of knowledge. It's special, but this is really special knowledge. This is Rajvidya and Rajguhyam. It's very secret. Hmm? Secret. It is, it is the light that sheds light on Brahman. It lights up Brahman. What kind of light must that be? Hmm? You understand? Radharani sheds light on Brahman. What is it really like? And such that when people talk about it, Krishna becomes embarrassed. That is Guyam. That's very secret. He knows that. She knows that. They're talking about that. Hmm? If they talk about that like Prabhupada did enough and enough, then Krishna will come and say, enough, stop talking. Take them back to Godhead. Hmm? Enough. You've said too much. You're embarrassing me. All those things about me, you know. Hmm? This is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission. Shedding light on the light of Brahman. Hmm? This is Rajavidya, and this is a very secret business. Hmm? Talking about the romantic life of the Absolute, the heart of the Absolute. Shrutam Opi Upanishadam. What is that? Uh, hmm? Dure Harikatamrita. Mahaprabhu is said to have said this by Jiva Goswami. He said, Mahaprabhu Sri Chaitanya said this. Those aphorisms of the Upanishads that talk about oneness as opposed to difference and coming to that, and so, which is profound, he said, it's very far. It leaves one Dure Harikata, very far from where you can arrive at by Harikata, which is, this is the preoccupation of Radha, Harikata. Hari means the favorite name of Krishna in Braj. It means he who takes away, and he has taken away their hearts. They think of him like this, Hari. He's taken away our heart. So you, you can't have to talk about that person. Wherever your heart goes, that's where you are, right? He's stolen their hearts. They can't stop talking about him. And they know embarrassing things about him. Things that that in the circle of yogis will be problematic. In the circle of jnanis will be problematic. After all, they're worshipping Bhagwan, Krishna, the source of everything, hmm? the solution to all the problems. And when you shed light on him, we find he's got a problem. Brahman has a problem. Hmm? He has a need for Radha's love. He lives on bhakti. He lives on devotion. Hmm? It seems to be a problem, but if you go deeper in the philosophy, you understand what is what is um, atmaram, the atmaram of Bhagwan, the self-satisfaction. Hmm? He satisfied it himself. That's true, hmm? Hmm? but his own uh, self-satisfaction, his own, uh, you say, uh, there is. Krishna tastes Swarupananda and the devotees taste Swarup Shakti Ananda. He gives his Ananda to them, Ladini to them, then they see him in a particular light better than he can see himself and then he wants to see himself from that vantage point. So the, 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 the Gaudiya Vaishnava, they're shedding light on Bhagwan, on Brahman, 
on Brahman, on Bhagwan, in such a way that uh, it's confusing for people in other traditions who worship Krishna. Hmm? But if they then fully understand bhakti, rather than seeing bhakti as a means to some kind of gyan or understanding the difference between body and spirit and so forth, it's not the thing. It's not a means. It's not being described here as a means to an end. Therefore, he says, Rajavidya, Rajaguyam, Pavitramidam, Uttamam, Pratyakshavagamam, Dharmam, Susukam, Kartam, Avyayam. The knowledge he's speaking about here is Avyayam, means it's imperishable. Now, the knowledge by which we move from the false variety of material attachment to the oneness of Brahman and consciousness that underlies it all, that we are part of, that knowledge is not imperishable. That's not eternal. The fruit of it is. The fruit of that knowledge is. The fruit of that knowledge is that you will live in eternity. So Shankar would like to say about this first, well... What it means is that the fruit of the knowledge here is imperishable. But, of course, that's not what Krishna said. He said, the knowledge that I'm talking about is imperishable. Hmm? There's a difference. (coughs) Sattva gives knowledge. And sattva will be retired also in transcendence. You follow me? Uh, So Krishna is saying this knowledge is imperishable. So it's a post-liberated kind of knowledge and understanding, and and it's uh, it's uh, it's it's mm, it's kartam. It's uh, it's susukam kartam. It's performed. It's it's a, it's a knowledge that's performed. There's activity in the knowledge. Also, there's movement in the knowledge. It's susukam kartam. It's happy, kind of happily done. How do you do knowledge? <laughs> you like to do some knowledge? <laughs> I mean, it's a, you know, knowledge is, is, is characteristically moving away from doing, thinking and doing two different things. But this, see, this is, becomes special kind of knowledge. It's, it's knowledge that that's move, has movement to it, has activity to it. It's not just knowledge that informs movement, but the knowledge is a movement. Just like in karma yoga, you will do, you will do activities, and then the offering, the results we will offer to Krishna. But in bhakti yoga, the activities themselves are the offering. Hmm? Both you and you are your activities in one sense. So you become the offering. Not the fruits of what you do become the offering, but you and hearing about Krishna, chanting about Krishna, these, these, um, these are offerings themselves. Hmm? So it's an active thing, it's a, it's a, but it's a kind of knowing. And it's a kind of knowing, as I say, that under the influence of Sarup-shakti, this shining, it's a shining knowledge, hmm? Raj-vidya, and secret knowledge. Hmm? It doesn't look like knowledge. Therefore, bhaktas look like like uh, people on the karma mark, and often it's a thought like that. Oh, they're doing this worship, and they're offering the thing, and if they get knowledge from that, they'll, they'll relax. Hmm. Yeah. So, it's a secret thing, very difficult to understand the movements of the devotee. The devotee's movements look overtly, often, like those of people 
in the world of karma. They sing, they dance. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to Banaris singing, dancing. And the Gyanis there, they said, what kind of sannyasi is this? He sings and dances. Sannyasis are supposed to have knowledge. They don't... They aren't involved in worldly affairs of singing and dancing. Hmm? They called him... What did they call him? They called him... Uh, a babukaha. He's a babukaha. An emotionalist. They were right. Prakashananda, he told it, he said it, he was accurate about that. Like Bhagavatam says, Nigumakobatoror Galitam Falam, Sukumakadamata Rabba Samitam Pibata Bhagavatam Rasamalaya Muhurahorasika Bhuvi Bhavukaha. It's for these kind of people, crazy people, emotional people, but this emotional life of bhakti, bhava, hmm? prem, it's arising out of out of special knowledge, a special kind of knowledge. Again, that makes ordinary special knowledge look Ordinary in comparison, look undesirable. Hmm? That's a very uh, uh, deep kind of theistic uh, idea. Hmm? So Rajavidyam, Rajavidya, Rajaguyam, and it's it's abhyayam, it's imperishable, it, and it's post-liberated activity. It's about movement in eternity. That is lila. There's movement under the influence of karma, and there's movement that we call lila. The two may look similar, but they're worlds apart. Therefore, Krishna Lila is called Aprakrita. Prakrita means material life. Aprakrita. It looks like material life, but it's really very, very different. It's the height of transcendence. Hmm? You know, the Brajbasins, when Krishna, they went for Shivratri to Ambika, to worship goddess Ambika. They went to the Anshivratri. And Nanda Maharaj, in the night, was taken by uh, the... He, he took water at, the, at the, what the servants of Varuna thought was an inauspicious time or incorrect time with regard to the Ekadasi. And so, so they captured him and took him beneath the, 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 the sea. And Krishna went with Maldev and, and saved him. And so... Nanda Maharaj and, well, the inhabitants of the, the rest of the Brajpasins, they tell us, wow, Krishna is so fantastic. He does these wonderful things by the grace of Narayan. And so they said, one thing, we, like everybody wants to know, and they wanted to know too, well, what, where will we go in our next life? They wanted to know. Can you show us? You have some special powers. You know, you're just our son or friend or whatnot, but you have some special powers nonetheless. Can you show us what will be in our next life? He said, yes. Of course. And he showed them. What did he show them? He showed them Golok. They're in Gokul. He showed them Golok. So they were all happy because it just looked the same. Their cows would be there. They'd be there. They'd have their houses. So great. We'll all go to heaven together. Somebody might go. Hmm? They're all attached to one another. They don't want to leave Brindavan. They're attached to their little village. Hmm? Seen like ordinary people. They're attached to their ordinary... You know, it's miserable, but still they're attached there, and they're hoping heaven will have cigarette butts, you know, or something, or you know, or it'll be a little longer, or something, you know. It's like a man in prison that gets attached to, you know, gets a couple extra, whatever, here and there, and they become attached. They don't want to leave. So uh, we're adaptable. <laughs> Think about that. 
Uh, so anyway, it, 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 here we, we speak about bhakti in terms of renunciation and uh, leaving the world and so forth. And our ideal are people that are attached to one another and uh, performing all types of apparently worldly activities. Of course, they're all, if we look carefully, therefore Bhagavatam says, nityam bhagavata sevaya. Hmm? You have to look very carefully at the Bhagavatam. You can't just take a cursory look at Bhagavatam. I told a story with the four, before about the young man whose father sent him to Benares to learn, to get an education. Son came back and father said, did you get an education? Yes, I studied so many books. And father said, did you study Bhagavatam? He said, no, I don't think we had, and that wasn't part of our course. Father said, then you don't have education. Go back to Benares and study the Bhagavatam. So he went and studied the Bhagavatam, came back. Father said, so did you study Bhagavatam? He said, yes, now I know why you sent me back. That book alone, by studying that, 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 would be sufficient if you didn't read any other book. So Father said, so you've understood Bhagavatam. Then he said, yes, thank you for that. He said, you better go back to Benares and study Bhagavatam again then. He said, what? So he went back to Benares again. He studied Bhagavatam again. He returned. Father said, so, did you study Bhagavatam a second time? He said, yes. Did you understand? He said, yes. And now I understand why you told me to go back a second time. Now I, I may have to study it a second time. I realized the first time I didn't understand anything. It's... So, Father said, so now you've understood Bhagavatam. He said, yes. He said, go back to Benares, study Bhagavatam again. So again, he went back, he studied the Bhagavatam, again he returned. And Father said, so have you understood Bhagavatam? He said, Father, I cannot understand Bhagavatam. Father said, now you've understood the Bhagavatam. <laughs> it's not like that. This is special knowledge. This is Rajavidya. Gita is only introducing the Bhagavatam knowledge. And when you enter to the Bhagavat, just the, you see they work together. Just where Gita leaves off, Bhagavat picks up. Krishna says, Sarva Dharma Pritya Mamikam Sharanam Braja. Bhagavatam says, Dharma Projita Kaita Utra Paramoniyan Matsaranam Satam. Same thing. Dharma Projita. Sarva Dharma Pritya Same thing. Krishna saying, just depend on me alone. Faith in me, not any other. You have no other religious or otherwise worldly duty to be concerned with. Just be concerned with me. Everything will be covered. Bhagavatam says, all this other kind of dharma that falls short of coming to the center, it's, all, it's not part of this book. Not, this book has nothing to do with that, except to distance you from that. Which distances you from Bhagwan? Any kind of bargaining with the Absolute? Any kind of holding on? I'll give something, you give me something back? So this book is for getting close to him. Therefore, nimatsaranam. Satam and Shraddhaban, all these things. I guess they're being discussed, uh, we were discussing the other night, the Adhikar for this. That is the end of Gita. The end of Gita is giving the Adhikar, the eligibility for bhakti. You have faith in me, me alone, and hearing and chanting about me is sufficient. Okay, now, now we start to hear and chant about me, that is Bhagavatam. They're all about it. It's Leela. Yes, there are nine cantos, and Leela is primarily in the tenth canto, but all those cantos, there are eleven, twelve cantos, I should say, but the first nine or whatever, they're all trying to help explain better what they, what under, what that Leela is about. I mean, there are ten subjects in Bhagavatam. Nine of them are, are sheltered, and one is the shelter. And you read about the nine that are under the shelter of the one, the one being Krishna. And you think, wow, he's extraordinary. They're talking about something very extraordinary here. Hmm? 
Then when you get to the Leela, you realize it looks like one thing, but it's really something quite different. But you have to study Bhagavatam carefully to understand all this. Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya. Bhagavati Uttamashvoka, Bhakti Bhavati Naishtiki. With real paying attention, you have to study Bhagavatam. Then you can understand, as much as we talk about, and there's scope for that, renunciation, detachment, and so forth, our ideal is to become attached. This is more about attachment than it is about detachment. Mm. To become attached to Krishna, just like those Brajbasis. They're real happy. Krishna will be there. Mm. My cows will be there. What's the attachment of the Brajbasis to their cows, to their sons, to their daughters, the daughters to their parents? Mm. You see? You want to have a relationship with other people, and Vedanta tells you, those relationships are false. They won't endure. Hmm? You really, and you, 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 if you focus on that, you, uh, you live alone. Be happy with yourself. Om. No other sound. Om. Only. It was false. Love was false. I wanted to love, but I found it was false. Who can digest this? Who can swallow this? Spit this out. This is a bitter pill. We cannot accept this. Love is false. It's so central to the human experience. The human beings, they have a heart. That's what makes you human. <laughs> you know, Dr. Spark, he didn't have a heart. <laughs> I saw it on the movie, on the plane, years ago. It was the last journey of Star Trek they played. <laughs> and the, the search was for God. They were going to go into space as far as they could to find God. So I better tune in on this, see if they find him. And they went into space further and further. It was the last episode, apparently. And now they've reinvented it, I guess. But um, And so anyway, they got so far, they didn't find him. And then they were, so the Spock and Kirk, you know, Captain, were discussing about it. And Spock said, so, well, by the way, what's your conclusion? What do you think? And Captain Kirk gets something like that. I think, something like this, I think that God is, is the human heart. Spock just went, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, he didn't have a heart, so to speak. So humans are humans, yes, because they have intelligence, they're rational animals, but more than that, because they have a heart. Because the heart comes out. They can love, they can give. Hmm? This is what makes us human. Now, to, to get a philosophy that tells us all that pursuit of love, it's all false. You love someone, and then they will disappear. They will, they will, they will turn into, you know, your your handsome prince will turn into a old grouch <laughs> right before your eyes. You know, don't be foolish. Hmm? That's like what, what do they say? That's, uh, 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 only love can break your heart. Hmm? Try to be sure right from the start. Neil Young. <laughs> yeah. So we we cautious hmm? who to give ourselves to, where to give our heart. But we have to give it. That is living. Giving the heart, giving is living. Wherever we give our heart, that's where we live. Hmm? Uh, Ramananda Roy said that wherever the heart is, that that's the driver and the body and senses. Mind is the chariot. Mahaprabhu wanted him to come and live in Puri. He said, My, I'm there. I'm there. My heart is there. So he had to go there. 
So life is about giving your heart. That's what it's about. We're giving it. It's where to give it is only the question. This is what Bhakti teaches. And Jnana teaches, stop giving your heart. That was your mistake. See? Hmm? You looked for love, hmm? but there is none. That's knowledge. Hmm? And that's a kind of love because the false love of material existence is a kind of mutual exploitation between people. Hmm? It's based on attachment and need that we have, so we can't be givers to that extent. We make a bargain and I'll give you something, you give me something, we'll work it out. And It's, it's hardly the full idea of love. Hmm? And I don't mean to say there is no benefit between people, human beings loving one another, even automatic, or even ordinarily. There is, actually. If they do it right, they learn that they have to sacrifice and they can grow from that, there's no doubt. But that's the point, right? That's what they should learn from their loving relationships with one another, that that that, uh, that 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 to to love requires sacrifice and sacrifice being big, big brings growth and then you become whole yourself hmm? Hmm? so uh, this is the kind of uh, secret of, of of life so we grow by by giving as i often say hmm? so a, a philosophy, a, a, a system of, of uh, the pursuit of, of knowing, like in Gyanmarg, that ends without loving. The only love that is part of that is, is that, well, there's no more exploitation. If I don't take anymore, then I guess I could be called a giver, kind of in an abstract way. You're no longer taking, no longer exploiting. You could call that love. It's like I've given an example coming from negative numbers of exploitation of the karmic realm to zero. There's something positive about that zero. But the question remains, are there any positive numbers? That is bhakti. Hmm? That movement, that, uh, that knowledge is imperishable, that love of Godhead. Hmm? And in the context of love of Godhead, see, it is complete. Because you can love one another, and there can be others that don't get in the way of loving. So what is the love of Nanda for Yashoda? What is the love of Subal for Sridham? Hmm? Radha for Lalita, and all these uh, uh, inhabitants of Golok, these paradigmatic figures that, I, that exemplify a certain taste, a flavor of love for Krishna. Hmm? Vessels of love. What is that love? The Rupa Goswami has given the language. The stai, the dominant love, is for is for the center, hmm? and the love for one another augments that center. It's called sancharibhav or vyabicharibhav. It augments the central love. It doesn't get in the way. So even in ordinary life, we think or material life, or the life of a sadhaka, spiritual practitioner, we think. Yes, in bhakti, you don't have to be a renunciate. You can be a householder. You can have many children as you want. The husband has to love Krishna more than his wife. The wife has to love Krishna more than the wife. Or some sadhu. Hmm? Like Prabhupada's disciple. They, they, they love Prabhupada more than they love their wife, and they love Prabhupada more than they love their husband. Hmm? So then it, then it works. Hmm? Then it can work. Hmm? This idea. So centered, it's interesting, centered love, 
really, spiritually speaking, you see, it sends love to the circumference also. It's comprehensive. So this Golok, it's not a lonely affair. It's not, it's not living alone. Peaceful. Shanti, shanti. It's joyful. It's love. It loves a kind of movement. As I said before, in this world, we cannot rest until we find love. That's a kind of movement. And then when we find love, we don't rest either. That's another kind of movement that starts. The influence of love. That's a dance also. So Leela is that kind of movement. Karma is the movement that you, that you can't rest until you find love. That, that will retire karma. Love will retire exploitation more than knowledge. And it is the highest knowledge. This is what Krishna is speaking about here. Rajavidya, Rajaguya. On the low end, we're talking about the high end. He says, Pabitram, Pabitram, Idam Uttamam. He says, this Idam is Uttam Pabitram. It's completely capable of purifying you. It means this. This is, again, this is not Gyan, ordinary Gyan. Hmm? It cannot be. Because Gyan can re- purify, it means it can remove karma. Knowledge, I- ignorance of our karmic implication has its roots in avidya, in ignorance hmm? of what we are. And it takes the form, the shape of attachment to things that don't endure. Hmm? Now, if we go to the root and that avidya is transformed into vidya, then the karmic implications of our life have been uprooted, right? And they're vast. A vast network of, oh, what a web we weave when at first we choose to deceive. So we've deceived ourselves, and it's a, it's a karmic web that you just can't... It's, it's a huge you know, tangle, knot. Hmm? Uh, to sort it all out is, 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 is impossible. It has repercussions. There are things that we've done that still have our waiting, reactions are waiting to get their satisfaction from us. They haven't manifest yet. We're living, our present in one sense is our past. We have tendencies and so forth and desires that are a result of previous activities that we've performed. This karma is called prarabdha. It's playing itself out already. It's like, it's one thing, you know, to be in proximity of a disease and then take preventative medicine or something like that. Or they have some nice homeopathic pills. I've tried them. That If you just start to get a cold, if you take them right away, it can hold it off, kind of a thing. Hmm? But when it's full-blown, then, you know, you have to wait it out, right? Hmm? you got to take whatever it is, six days, and, you know, drink a lot of fluids, get a lot of rest, and it's a cold, I got a cold, it's... It's not, it's no, there's no way to stop it in full, full swing. But there's things that you could do to prevent from it, it happening and so forth. So there's karma that's, that's, that's there that we can, that through knowledge, it can be um, destroyed, so to speak, burned up. And you won't have to experience the reactions that you are due. But the ones that you're already experiencing in Gyanmark, that's why... The jnani becomes a jivan mukta, a liberated soul, in this body. And then when the karma is, the parabdha karma, that coal that's already fully blown, fully manifest, when it stops, 
he stops, body stops, and from from the Jivan Mukta becomes a Videha Mukta, goes to Brahman. Hmm? Videha, without Deha, without a body. Hmm? Goes there. So point is this that in that kind of knowledge, hmm, Brahmagyan, it doesn't have the power to destroy Parabdha. This is Pavitram Uttaman, supremely purifying power. It means Bhakti has the power to destroy Parabdha, the manifest karma. In fact, it does so very quickly, the bad part of it. We have manifest bad karma and good karma. So very quickly, Bhakti will take away the, the negative Parabdha, which enables us then to participate in all types of, for example, Vedic rituals or whatnot, as Bhagavad says, Aho Bhattasvapachoto Gariyan, who chants the name. He can, a dog eater even, who chants the name, can become a, perform the Vedic sacrifice, Sadyo Piyam, Sadyo immediately. Doesn't mean all this Prabhupada is gone. No. But the immediate negative Prabhupada is, is gone, and so many lifetimes of other. Aparabdha, unmanifest karma, is removed. We sometimes think, I'm not making any progress. One who has eyes to see, says, oh, so much aparabdha karma you, were, you eliminated today by your chanting. Hmm? It would have had you here for lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes. Hmm? Like, you know, when you build a house, you know, if, you, if you go, they say, build a house and lose a spouse. It's very... When we were building the temple, not the temple, but the house that I'm living in now, which was one of the first things we built, and the bathhouse at our monastery in California, at Audario, we were living there in tents, and um, and we had a contractor and a couple, well, one of the devotees, one of my disciples, Chidahari, was working with them, and then we'd go every day and we'd see, you know, what happened, and he'd look, what they do today, you know, doesn't look like they did anything. It was just, you know, it would drive you. <laughs> Drive you mad. So there's a lot of things that we have to go into a building that you don't see. You know the underground, the infrastructure, and so forth before it actually, you know, goes up. And there's the house, kind of thing. So with bhakti, also, we're actually what we're doing is we're is we're investing in real estate in Goloka, and you know, investment at first you got to pay a lot of interest, and you don't, but you've got some stake there from bhakti, some stake. And, and gradually the house of bhakti is going up, but a lot of it's in, in, invisible. Hmm? Hmm? And the parabdha that you are due, well, it's not it's not entirely manifesting, but something is there. Hmm? When you enter into bhava bhakti, then Krishna daiviesha. What does he say? Hmm. No, he says uh, another verse. He says mahatmanastumampata uh, daivim prakritim ashrita, the mahatma. He comes under Daivim Prakritim. He's still in the world, although he's liberated, hmm? and moving under the Swarup Shakti, Daivim Prakritim, to give bhakti and to cultivate Bhav Bhakti and to pray in bhakti. Hmm? He's a liberated person, still has something to do. This is special knowledge, you understand? It's far beyond Mukti. This Prem is far beyond Mukti. Who's got Mukti? in the context of bhakti, having attained bhava, thinks what? It's a characteristic of bhakti. That mukti is a small thing. This is, this is a very small thing. That's an insignificant thing. 
So this is the implication here of pavitram idam uttamam and susukam kartam. We talked a little bit about avyayam rajvija rajaguhyam. It's all about bhakti. Any question? It's the bhakti gita. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> in uh, bhakti, then people don't. Then it's not about moving away from people and living alone and whatnot. So, but some uh, in the history of you know practitioners, some people have taken up that lifestyle. Many people took up that lifestyle. For instance, Gaurav Kishore mm-hmm. Das Babaji. He lived totally alone, and he didn't want people around him. It seemed he did things to keep people away from him. And, he wanted Bhakti Vinod around. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He liked Bhakti Siddhant. Mm-hmm. So, he, 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 he liked the Bhagavad discourse of Bhakti Vinod. He would go and sit. Mm-hmm. So, it means that they avoid things that are unfavorable. Worldly people, false imitation devotees, and so forth. But real people of substance, of spiritual substance, he wanted their association. He wanted sadhusanga. So in an esoteric, in internal sense, I want to say it's communal. It's the Goloka is not people sitting alone. It's family people. Right? You have to become part of the family there. That's what I mean. But there may be, there is a renunciation and detachment aspect of it that takes us away from things that are unfavorable to bhakti. So worldly association, for example, is not favorable. We don't associate with worldly-minded people by way of embracing their thoughts and their aspirations and so forth. That's what it means to associate, to embrace the same aspirations and get close to people and be on the same page with them. So we don't want to be on the same page with those who have an agenda of merely acquiring and so forth. Another question? Yes. It's kind of lower side note to the discussion, but you were speaking about uh, their principles of morality, and then there's codes at different times and places. Maybe you could kind of unpack that a little bit. I mean, I understand about form and substance and the details and principles. I guess I can't quite conceptualize that. Principles of morality, is it similar to... Like, you know, we have the principles of bhakti, and there's details in how to realize those principles. So on the moral level... What I'm saying is that there are moral principles, and the circumstance will largely determine what they are. Um, let's say, for example, um, let's take... Um, the environment, okay? Now, thoughtful people reason that the environment of the earth is threatened by us in a particular orientation to the world. Hmm? And so then um, there were times when that wasn't the case, right? 
So you don't find in the Veda some law that says um, don't, uh, you know, uh, watch out for your carbon footprint, right? There's no law, and there's, no, there's no Vedic statement that says your carbon footprint can, cannot be bigger than this, otherwise you have to jump in the Jamuna two times and, you know, with your eyes closed and, uh, and eat only, you know, drink only milk for a week or something like that. But there are statements like that in the, in the Dharma Shastras. If you do this and you do that. So, so we, what we can't do is we can't necessarily take all of those laws, if you will, hmm, and apply them in all circumstances because what underlies those laws are principles. And so if you understand the moral principle, for example, then you say now, well, then you think about the, because these circumstances such that the environment is being threatened, our own human natural environment, the natural environment, by the human activity, then we will pass laws and or, or will be guided by a certain ethic about how to relate. You know, we don't recycle. When I was a kid, I remember seeing the first signs come up, no littering, you know, $500 fine or something like that, you know. People used to just, just, just throw things out the window. <laughs> it's unimaginable to young people now, but I could, I mean, I... I can remember that. People would drive down the road and just throw stuff out, you know. Then came the signs, no littering, you know. And people were fighting it then. It's like people are fighting the environmental now still. These guys would be, you know, litterers. If they're just like a, you know, just gradually giving little ground, gradually giving a little ground. Hmm? But if it weren't somebody fighting for the environment, they'd still be throwing stuff out the window. You understand? So the times change, and so now you need, you know, um, ethical, moral. It would, it, you would be thought to be immoral hmm? and ethically unsound to uh, just even even any anybody, you know, the Fox News commentators, whoever, you know, to throw something out the window, you know, uh, throw your empty beer can out the window, it's, right? But there was times when it wasn't like those times change, and so there are principles, and they're dynamic, and you have to think about them in terms of time and circumstance, and then come up with a law. I mean, the morality, as time goes on, you'll see morality will will deal more with not what people are doing in their bedroom, for example, but how they relate to one another as human beings. You see the equality of uh, you know I, that you, you understand your humanity, your weaknesses as a human. We're weak. Hmm? That's, you know, weak is loveness. Love is a kind of a weakness. So we're lover type people. We have hearts, as I said, so we have weaknesses. We, the more we understand our humanity, the more we understand one another. We're sympathetic with the weaknesses of others and we show compassion. That'll be the standard of morality. Not, you know, how many times you did this and what way and, you know, so forth and so on. Those things may have their place and so forth too, but, um, uh, so anyway, this is kind of the idea. Hmm. Morals are dynamic, and if you just talk about morals and ethics in, in, a, in a non-dynamic sense, in a literal sense, for example, in the Bible or from any sacred text or something like that, you're going to really come in. You're, you're going to lose ground in time, in the eyes of the people. And then if you just say, "Well, I don't want to be PC. I want to be true," you know, to the Bhagavatam. Well, you know, what's the Bhagavatam? What is it? What is it about? I mean. It's really not even about 
moral principles. It's about something so powerful that even the most immoral person, if they embrace it, will become uh, squeaky clean. You know, by that, by that. That's what Bhagavatam is about. Therefore, sort of Sarvadharman Pratyajya Krishna says, forget the moral stuff. Just take shelter of me. Hmm? You'll get so, you'll get all sorted out real real quickly by that. Hmm? Something like that. You follow? That's the idea. So, you know, morals are not just old laws that don't have any... And if you look, if you look at all, so many laws, if you look at, you know, the codicy laws and these, these things, Chaturmasya, they all have some relevance to the time, the circumstance, the climate. And what does it mean? Don't eat spinach during, you know, the only month it grows <laughs> in North America, right? It's different in India and it's raining, you know, four months and so forth. All these laws, they make so much more sense in the times in which they're written. Hmm? You have to learn how to make, take the essence of that, the spirit of that. Otherwise, it just won't make any sense to people. Hmm? You know, probably just, like in Codice, well, if everybody's a vegetarian, let's say, and they only eat, you know, the main sustenance is grains. So if for two days a month, nobody eats any grains, well, there's a lot of grains available. Hmm? It's very pragmatic. So there's that side to it. You know, and then you get in this culture and, you know, it's a whole different thing. It's like, you know, a couple of people don't eat grains. Why are you doing that on, on that day? In the, and, you know, and there's, there's more to it, too. I mean, it was, it was understanding of the moon, the moon rose. Uh, and it shows certain face, and during the Odyssey, it was considered that the tides or the fluids within the body would put pressure on the senses, hmm? more so than than on other days, and one would be more prone towards interacting with sense objects. But I mean, now, the only, at that time, the only sense enjoyment was eating and sex. They didn't have video games and, you know, everything under the sun to be bombarded with, so that people are just like sensually, you know, agitated constantly. So you say, well, you know, you fast from grains on this day and it'll, you know, tone you down. They're on caffeine, you know, like you're going to Bible. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense to them. So, so there's, a, there's a lot of wisdom, these things, but you kind of have to trace it out and then you have to take the essence of that. And that's what, you know, what keeps a tradition alive. That's what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did. If you look at Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's bhakti, what was the place of women in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission? He, 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 for just to give a crude example, then he it was so much greater than what it was previously. Hmm? By the so-called laws, it was, was thought and so forth. So that's the idea. Hmm? Anything else? So, all right, we'll stop there. Simad Bhagavad Gita ki jai. Shri Aishti Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada ki jai. Bhakti Raksha Siddha Dev Goswami Maharaj ki jai. Bhakti Siddhanta Swasti Thakur Prabhupada ki jai. Shri Bhakti Vedanta Paribhada ki jai. Om Bhakti Vinda ki jai. Om Tainan. Om Tainan. Om Tainan. Om Tainan. Om Tainan. Om Tainan.